Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. We're so glad you're here at Graceland Church. If I don't know you yet, my name's Nathan. Uh, we have a first service just like this one at 9 o'clock. A number of our second service people have been transitioning to help us uh, make space to the first service. It's all the same. In fact, sometimes it's better. I'm just saying. Sometimes there's that much more of a powerful move of God, but all you guys are welcome to that service as well. We're so glad you guys are here. We're in a series called Dream Again, all about God awakening his God-given dreams of our heart. That's our prayer for this series. And this morning, something happened that really couldn't have been planned more perfectly. And I want to set the story up with this. You know, our culture uses the phrase a lot, oh my God, and I was raised to not say, oh my God, unless you're praying, and to say instead, like, oh my goodness, or oh my gosh, anybody with me? And so we've done that with my kids, and my four-year-old son has really latched on to, oh my gosh. That's like his go-to right now. So I say that to prep this story. This was so perfect for setting up this series. This morning, I went to wake up my son, Clay. He's four years old. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing? Like, kind of disoriented. And I said, it's time to get up, buddy. It's Sunday. And he looked out the window to check the light. He saw the sunrise, and then he passionately and tragically exclaimed, wait, it's morning already? Oh my gosh, I didn't even dream. And then he plopped his head down on the bed, put his, hands in his, fa- put his face in his hands, and started crying. Perfect illustration for this series Because what we're hoping is that you will not get to the end of your life and have that blessed looking back perspective and have to cry out like clay and actually say, oh my God, I didn't dream. We believe there are God-given dreams of your heart that should be awakened now. And a lot of times when we think about dreaming, we think of doing something new or something different or bigger Today, I want to talk to you about one of the most powerful things you can do, which is to dream where you are right here and right now. And there's one thing that's true of all of us always, and that is we are around people. So some of you guys are married. All you guys have some sort of family, siblings, parents, grandparents, kids, grandkids. We have friends. We have neighbors, coworkers, classmates, bosses, employees. You name it. We're surrounded by people all the time for better or for worse. And I just want to tell you that God has a lot to say about how we relate to all of those people, and that's called our relationships. And the title today is The Dream of Healthy Relationships. Think about it. If you could be reinvigorated about the possibilities that exist within your current relationships, your whole life could change. No circumstance might change. It's just about your heart posture towards your existing relationships. For most of us, the reason this is challenging is because you dreamed of healthy relationships, and this is number one in your notes, but you may have lost some or all of that dream. Life has a way of doing that to us with our relationships. The invitation today is to dream again about all the possibilities of loving the people in your life. And I want to start by looking at the problem, kind of the progression of how relationships go wrong. We all start with the dream, health. We want this relationship to be healthy. Even when we're little kids, you know, we meet someone at the playground, 
We bond over like Pokemon or something. I'm dating myself. And Pogs, you guys remember Pogs? We bond with kids at the playground and, and we think they're going to be my best friend forever. It's the dream, right? We, now I am set for elementary, middle, and high school. I've got my friend. We do that in marriage. We were like, I, when, when we're dating and, and just getting married and in that infatuation stage, we're like, I can't believe I get to spend all of my time with you. This is amazing. How many of you guys remember that? Right? How many of you guys can also say 10, 15, 20, 30 years later in marriage, sometimes you're thinking the exact opposite. You're like, I don't even want to see you today. Like, I, I lost that dream a while ago. And, and it's, it's not always so serious, but we have those questions in our heart. It happens with our friendships. It happens with work. It happens with people that we hire or bosses that we work for. We go from healthy, and first we kind of move into coasting. And that's when we're like, "Ah, I don't really see the dream like I once did. I'm kind of tired. We're now just kind of, we're getting by on old gas, if you will. It's lost some of its initial wonder and intrigue. And you maybe start like not listening to God's instructions about relationships. And then you go from coasting to struggling. So now is when you're thinking, man, this person's now starting to kind of annoy me. This, this kid I met that I thought was going to be my friend, now they're annoying me. A lot of people with uh, all the division right now, they're like, I can't be friends with that person. I don't even want to be family with them anymore because of their politics or because they're on the different side of this or that. A lot of people say, I lost my friendships because of just the distance and the busyness. And now we're, we're struggling. I don't know what's going on. My marriage is just a partnership at best. Now we seem to be getting angry at each other more than anything. Or maybe every time you think of a coworker, it stresses you out. Or you think of a boss, and immediately the, fe- the offense comes up. And this is when our selfishness comes out, our quarreling comes out. And then we go from struggling to strained. Now I've just taken offense in my heart. I am offended. I'm developing bitterness and spite towards this person. And it leads to the relationship breaking. So I don't want to see them. I don't want to think about them. They are now almost like an enemy to me. And it leads to the final and worst category, lost. The relationship is just gone. So this is going to be an encouraging message. I just want to kind of like diagnose what tends to happen in even our most treasured relationships. And you might find yourself on that spectrum somewhere with various relationships in your life. I've shared this before, but it just fits this message a lot. I struggled with my anger a lot as a kid, and I was like a temper tantrum little kid. And when I grew into my young adult years and started really walking with the Lord, I thought I had my temper beat. Like, I was just like, oh man, God really delivered me of my anger. And I was so thankful. And then I got married, and I realized I wasn't as delivered as I thought I was. (laughs) I was like, there's still some stuff in there. Like, there's some situations I can't control and stuff's coming out that I thought was gone. I've talked to people in their 70s and 80s before that have walked with God their entire life that realize things that are in their heart that laid in the game. And it's not a bad thing. It's good to be aware of stuff in your life that needs to change. The psalmist actually said, search me and know my heart, God. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. It starts with that self-awareness. And after I got married, then we had kids and I really realized, man, Life's way out of my control, and I still have a temper. But what I want to encourage you with today is that in Christ and in the context of God's dream for us, there is hope for every relationship. There is reason, actually, to dream again today. And what we're going to look at is how to dream again about what relationships can be. And we really need to do a quick recap on last week because last Sunday we started this series and talked about how godly dreaming will follow divine order. 
So we're not talking about kind of what the world says, just chase your dreams, right? That's not what we're talking about. We need to understand divine order if we're gonna understand dreaming in the way that God created us to dream. Everything begins with God when you look at divine order. So dreaming again begins with the greatest dream of beholding Jesus again. That's where it all starts. And when you leave that first part of divine order, you leave the source and you can no longer dream in healthy and God-given ways. And you can simply use the... um, acronym of joy, which we teach the kids in uh, Studio G, and it's Jesus first, others second, yourself third, J-O-Y. So Jesus, beholding Jesus is the first part of the divine order. And part of what happens when we really behold Jesus, we realize that the deepest dream of our heart is just to know him and worship him, and then we start learning his heart for people and how we relate to people. And this is really good news, number two, Part of God's dream for you is healthy relationships. I believe it's a godly thing to dream again about the relationships in your life as you connect with God. He cares deeply about the state of how you relate with everyone. Look at Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus is talking to his father about his disciples. My prayer is not for these 12 disciples alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for us. 2,000 years later, who have believed because of the the disciples and the thousands of disciples since then through the church that have shared the gospel. And his prayer is this, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Part of the dream of the heart of God as shown to us through Jesus, God in the flesh, is that we would be one and not just like, hey, we're cool, high five, but we'd be so one that we experience the same kind of oneness as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. This is part of what the new heavens and the new earth is gonna be, perfect relational unity and intimacy. And then Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is articulating how we can only control our input into relationships. That's always true. But I'm telling you, there's usually much more we can do than we think we're doing. We have much more influence than we realize. God cares so much about relationships that Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you're ever bringing your offering before the Lord in worship and there realize that your brother or your sister has something against you, stop, go be reconciled, and then bring your offering to the Lord. God's priority is healthy relationships. Have you ever noticed when you're not reconciled with people, it's really hard to freely worship God because he wants you to go be reconciled and then experience that freedom that he's called you to. The main idea for the whole sermon is this, and this has changed my life a few years ago, and I wanna share it with you today. Number three, get a glimpse of God's dream for people, adopt that same dream, and treat them accordingly. So when you behold Jesus... And when you realize this greatest dream, you start to get a glimpse of his heart for your spouse or for your kids or for your parents or get this, for your in-laws. Can everyone say amen? God has a dream for your in-laws. You know, the way it can work like this is you feel, if you feel frustrated with someone in your life right now, let's just say a family member, someone that's in the closest circle to you and you're frustrated with them, and you're offended by them, and you just can't get your heart right towards them. The first step is pause, spend time beholding Jesus, and ask him just to give you a glimpse of his dream for that person. And when you get even the littlest glimpse of his dream for that person, and then begin to say, I want to adopt that as my own, it transforms how you are empowered to treat them. 
Same of people at work. Same of that boss that bothers you. Same of that employee that seems to get under your skin. You know how psychologists will say, and this is a little corny, psychologists will say that if you force yourself to smile for 10 minutes a day, like even if you're not laughing, it's kind of creepy. Let's all try it. Just smile. See, it's kind of scary. Like, what's going on here? If you force yourself to smile for 10 minutes, psychologists will say that it releases certain like endorphins in your body that actually put you in a better mood. Like you feel happier because you're, you're, you're letting your face inform your emotions and there's something about the smile, uh, even if you're not feeling it, that helps you. And I would say that it's similar if you let yourself to just dream for 10 minutes about God's dream for your spouse. Dream for 10 minutes a day about God's dream for that child or that parent. And it will be transformative in how you are empowered to treat them. Here's the reminder in Genesis 1. God created mankind, every man, every woman in his image. We have to start with remembering that every person is an image bearer of the living God. And even those that don't know him yet, it says in 1 Timothy, he, God, wants all saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we are not like... We're not, it's not like we're not supposed to love those or dream God's dream for people that don't know him yet. We are. Even people that are out there doing crazy stuff right now, they're not our enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and forces in the heavenly realms. It's a trick of the enemy to get us to think we're fighting against people. Even those that are really doing wrong, God wants you to adopt his dream for them. Anybody with me? This is a transformative practice. Number four, God cares so deeply about healthy relationships that he committed much of scripture to relational instructions. A lot of God's word inspired by him is filled with what we call the one another's, how you treat one another. God's priority is healthy relationships. So we're gonna take the second half of this message now that I've set the stage and we're gonna look at eight declarations for healthy marriages that I'm gonna encourage you to adopt. And they're directly out of Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 32, where we see all these instructions about relationships. It starts in verse 22, where Paul writes, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Pause there. So he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been taught that there's an old self and a new self, and you need to put off the old self because it is filled with deceitful desires. The first declaration is so important, and it's this. I will reject the deceitful desires of my old way of life. The reason that's so important is because every relationship you have, you need to start with what you bring to the relationship. You don't want to start with blame. Blame is the enemy of growth. If you want to really step into healthy relationships, start with you. Even if it's someone that's really hurt you, you can only ever start with you and you have a part to play in this and your part to play is to reject the lies of your former way of life. So think of it this way. What desires in your old way of life did you have that actually hurt relationships? I can tell you they normally boil down to this, the simplicity of selfishness. Because when we're young and immature in our relationships, we're actually using them for something that we want. It's called usury. You know, when people are in middle school or high school and they start talking about their boyfriend or their girlfriend, um, they're not talking about genuine love where you sacrifice and serve someone. They're talking about how that person makes them feel. They're talking about how that person, they like walking next to that person because it elevates their social status at school or whatever. My dad said it this way, you can either love people and give them room to grow or you want something from them. And part of the old way of how we relate to relationships is usury. 
We are looking to use people for something. And the reason that's the important first step is because you will never have healthy relationships the way God intended if you don't get past using people for what you want. That should be a much louder amen. Amen. I still didn't get it. This is the first step. It starts with us. And then we keep reading in verse 23. He says, put off your old self to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the second declaration to have healthy relationships is I will put off the old self and put on the new self every day. And you may need to put parenthetically every hour, every minute. How many of you guys can relate to me? I've had times where I'm driving home from a work day to my wife and our four kids, and I'm just worshiping God. I'm lost in the glory of, of the praises and the wonder of God. I'm, th- I'm thanking God with tears for my wife and my kids. I'm just, I'm just worshiping and overflowing, and I'm saying, I can't wait to just get home and, and just hug every one of my kids and play and grab my wife and dip her down and kiss her and thank her for being so incredible. That's the vision I'm going home with, and I'm ready to do it. And then as soon as I open the door, something happens, and I'm like angry. This is over. You guys know what I'm talking about? And and even then, I usually don't just like blow up or anything, but my vision is gone, right? Everything I thought I was going into is gone. Those are the moments when you say, wait a second, I need to reject the deceitful desires of my old self, which says that this is all for me somehow. And I need to put on the new self, which says I'm called to lay down my life for my family, for my wife. And that includes most importantly, when the house feels like World War III. Right? Or it includes, most importantly, when the house feels like a tornado came through it. Whatever. Whatever may trigger you. And it's not just about family things. It's whatever we step into relationally. Every day, sometimes every hour, every minute, every moment that we need to, remind yourself, put on the new self if you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to reclaim that dream. And then reading on in verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off, off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. The third declaration for healthy relationships is I will be honest. That's easier said than done because we start to try to hide things even from those closest to us, things that we're ashamed of, things that we don't know what to do with, but you can't have healthy relationships unless you learn to get honest with each other. With our staff at Graceland Church, we call that being current and we make the commitment to each other. I'm gonna be current with you. So if I have something boiling up in my heart that I'm upset with you about, I'm gonna talk to you about it and I'm not gonna talk to anyone else about it. And that's being current. And you should treat all of your, every relationship like that, it's biblical, but especially those closest relationships. We're not meant to go just like gossip and tear people down all behind the scenes when we have problems. We're meant to be current with them and honest with them right now here in this moment. Now, let me give a clarification to that. Being current and being honest in your most treasured relationships does not mean telling them everything that frustrates you in real time. That's different. I'm talking about those deeper heart level things that are really getting at you. There's a lot of other stuff, frustrations and annoyances that you just need to cast off as as part of the old self and letting that die there. Let me get over myself and my little annoyances. Because if you you throw out verbally every little frustration you have into any relationship, that's a great way to kill it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But you must be current about the really big things. There are some of you right now that you know for sure God is speaking to you as I'm saying this, and there are things you need to talk with that spouse or that friend or that parent or that child about. 
And Jess and I have had multiple times in our marriage while doing ministry and pastoring and the reality of our lives where one of us had to come to the other and say, this has been bottling up and just dump it out and do it in the healthiest way possible. You must be honest. In verse 26, we read on. It says, in your anger, do not sin. I like that because it reminds us that anger by itself is not necessarily sin. You can feel the frustration and the anger. It's then what you choose to do with it. And then he gives us some clear instructions. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I think we can look at this literally and metaphorically. Sometimes it really is, man, we should not go to bed. I shouldn't let the sun go down until I talk to this person. Sometimes, and even the stakes can be higher with this, it's metaphorical, meaning like seasons of our life, I believe. Sometimes we just have to say, I can't let the sun go down on this whole chapter of life and just live with this bitterness and anger in my heart towards this person. This must be dealt with. And the reason it's so important is what it says in verse 27. It gives the devil a foothold. When you let that stuff go deep down in you, you are, without realizing it, saying, hey, enemy of my soul that hates me and all my relationships, here, let me make room for you. It doesn't feel like that because we justify our offense and we justify our anger. But scripture is telling us that that's what we're doing. So the fourth declaration for healthy relationships is, I will not let offense take root in my heart. And you could also write under that, I will not make room for the enemy in my life. I will not make room for the most important, I will not make room for the enemy in the most important relationships of my life, period. I will not let offense take root. Now, the way the enemy gets in there is so insidious because he destroys relationships with little tears. It's, it usually starts small. And I bet if you think about the most important relationships in your life right now, I bet you can identify little tears in a lot of them. That's not a bad thing. It's normal humanity. Every significant relationship in my life has at one point, there's been an all-out assault against it that started with little tears to try to ruin it. And it might not be that, like, it's over. Like, it might not end in divorce, or I'm not talking to my parents, or I'm not talking to my siblings, siblings or my old friends. It might just be that we're still there, but the relationship is gone, right? It's not the dream. It's not what God intended. It's somewhere on that progression of coasting or struggling or, or having disdain towards one another. And it loses the blessing of God. We are no longer living in what God intended for us. So what I want to encourage you is pay attention to the little tears because those are what will rob you. They will rob you of the dream. Deal with the little tears. Healthy relationships remove the foothold of the enemy by laying down the offense. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. At surface reading, you might think this doesn't fit into the context of what we're talking about, but I 100% think it does because this verse is talking about integrity. If you're stealing, steal no longer. If you're doing something that you know is wrong in your own life, it's saying stop it because guess what? When you are living into sin, it affects how you relate to others. Sometimes the things that you are most frustrated with about other people are much more about you and your frustration with yourself. So the declaration number five is I will live with integrity so that I can love others well. That part's not in your notes. I keep adding things to all of them. But I will live with integrity so I can love others well. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more next week, but you can't really dream about loving others the way you can unless you love yourself. How many of you guys know that feeling? You can access it right now. You know when you're not living with integrity, right? 
And how many of you guys are willing to confess with me when you know you're not living with integrity, you treat everyone badly because you are not at peace. So this is a big part of the dream of healthy relationships. Then he goes on to say in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The sixth declaration for healthy relationships is I will use words that build up. And you might want to add to it, I will not use words that tear down and grieve the Holy Spirit. You may or may not realize, but your words create worlds that the people that are in your life have to live in. Especially if you're coming from any kind of authority position, and usually if it's a friend or if it's someone that you love and they love you, you have an authority position in their life. Certainly if you're a parent, even if you're a kid, how you speak to your parents. Your words create worlds that your loved ones have to live in, so you should choose to only speak words that build them up. And even when you have to be honest and talk about hard things, do it in the context of building them up because you have a glimpse of God's dream for their life. Right? You, if you have a glimpse of God's dream for their life, you never actually want to tear them down. So you have to train your tongue how to build them up. And it says right here that when we live with words that tear them down, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I can relate to that as a parent because one of the most heavenly things as a parent is when your kids build each other up, when they support each other, when they have each other's back. How many of my parents in the house can like amen that? But one of the most hellish things as a parent is when your kids tear each other down. It's horrible. And it happens in every single family because we're, we're human and we're raising kids that are dealing with the reality of the human condition. And they are not fully sanctified yet. <laughs> Neither are you, parent. <laughs> or grandparent. But I believe God's heart either rejoices or grieves based on how we treat each other and the words that we speak to each other. I believe he celebrates and rejoices when we, when we use words that build up. But according to the scripture, he's grieved when we use words that tear down. Some of you guys need to repent about how you speak. If you want the dream, you gotta change the way you're talking about that person, how you're talking to them. It's not even just what you say to them, it's also how you think about them. It's what you say to yourself about them. If you're thinking negatively toward this person all the time, if that's what you're rehearsing over and over again, you're running away from the dream. You need to re-get back to the vision of Jesus and his dream for this person and start speaking that to yourself. I do this regularly with my wife. I learned from this guy named Bob Goff, who's an author and a teacher. He said that he keeps a picture of his wife from when she was um, a kid on his desk. Uh, essentially, he doesn't use the same language I'm sharing here, but it essentially helps him stay in touch with, you know, the childlike part of his wife. They're in their 60s or 70s now, I think. And it's just a part of remembering, oh, wait, this is this precious soul that God made in his image that he dreamed about, that he gave everything for, that he wants to build up, that he wants to pour into. And God's allowed me to be here to see that and keep calling that out, right? And speak that to yourself about your spouse. And then in verse 31, and we're gonna wrap up with these last two, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, let me just clarify, what we believe about scripture is that it's divinely inspired. And so we believe that this is God's voice to you as a command. If you're a follower of Christ, these are commands to you. Use words that build up. Get rid of all bitterness. I'm just gonna confess to you, even just two, three months ago, 
in my times with the Lord, I started realizing some bitterness I had about some things that I was just unaware of. And God was graciously showing it to me so that I could bring it before him and lay my burdens down. Right? It will happen at every season and stage of your life about different things. And the command is get rid of it. You were not meant to carry this bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. And we are in a culture that celebrates outrage right now. We even have some like ministers that feed into the outrage. This is not the life that Jesus has called us to. Even when people are doing insane things out there in the world, our posture is not outrage, it's heartbreak. And it's showing up with the power of God and the message of the good news to bring actual change. That's our posture. And we're at peace as we do it. We're not raging against the world. If we're connected to Jesus, we weep over the brokenness of the world. And then we lay down our lives for them. This is Jesus. This is the heart he has called us to. And so the seventh declaration for healthy relationships is bitterness and anger will not rob me. Make it a declaration today. I am not okay with the God-given dream of healthy relationships in my life being stolen by bitterness and anger taking root in me. And then we see the solution. Here's where the power is of how to really do all this. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You are able to forgive to the degree that you are in touch with your own forgiveness. If you find yourself unable to forgive and release people in your life, it means you are out of touch with your own sin and brokenness before God that needs that same forgiveness, right? You've developed some kind of sense of self-righteousness that isn't true. You need just as much of the grace and mercy of God as every single one of us do. I need just as much as you. You need just as much as me. And the person that you're really upset about, they need the same amount that you need. I like to say this way, we're all the same at the foot of the cross, before the holiness of God and the beauty of his splendor and glory. We are a broken mess, but we are forgiven. We are lifted up out of our shame. He lifts our heads from their place of shame, looks at us eye to eye and calls us his beloved. And the more we're in touch with that, the more we can treat others in kind. We are empowered to forgive because we are forgiven. The eighth declaration for healthy relationships is, I will forgive as I have been forgiven. And you just might need to start with, I need to accept forgiveness. You might not even be a follower of Jesus today. You have an opportunity right now to say, I wanna know you, God. Or you might be someone that's been wandering for a long time. Or you might have been following Jesus for years and years, but you haven't fully received his forgiveness. Maybe you're actually living in condemnation and riddled with like your, your, your own sense of shame. God wants to call you out of that so you can freely give what you've been given. You can't freely give it until you step into it. So you might just need to say, yes, thank you for this forgiveness. Teach me your ways. Lead me in this way everlasting. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to share a couple few things. And we're going to have a couple of our prayer team come up. And we're going to close here in a moment. But this is all empowered by the gospel. That's what it is to forgive as we have been forgiven. I want to, I want to encourage you right now, as they're coming up, don't get distracted. I want to ask you, what are you thinking about the people around you? And I don't mean necessarily physically. I just mean the people in your life. What are you saying about them in your mind? How would that change if you adopted God's dream for their life as your own dream for their life? 
There's no more competition. There's just celebration. There's no threats. You don't see them as something that is a threat against you, but it's a gift. You learn that greatness and joy comes from serving and loving and giving. And what we're going to do to close today is we're going to remind ourselves of this divine order. Godly dreaming starts with beholding Jesus. Look at what Sam Storm said. It's on screen. I quoted this last week. We become like that which we behold. You want to learn how to really do your part in healthy relationships and bring forgiveness and get rid of all bitterness? Behold Jesus. You'll become like him. That's the power in this whole thing. If you're struggling with it, it means you're not beholding Jesus enough. There is miraculous power available for this. This is not like, hey, Nathan's telling me I got to get this right. This is, Nathan, this is God telling all of us, no, 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 behold me and I will do miracles in your heart. I will do miracles in your mind. I will open up possibilities you didn't even know existed. You get that? This is about supernatural power. The greatest miracles that happen, I think, are the miracles of the heart and the mind. God makes us new. And I want to encourage you, get a glimpse of God's dream for people, adopt that same dream, and treat them accordingly. Before we sing, one last thought. In Scripture, one of the names for Satan, the one who hates you, hates God, hates all of us, wants to steal, kill, and destroy all our relationships, is the accuser of the brethren. And it says that he goes before God day and night and tries to accuse us before God. He basically tries to say, God, I used Oscar in first service. I'm going to use him again. Did you see Oscar this week? He was terrible. Did you see how he dropped that ball? Did you see how he didn't like treat that person with kindness? Did you see how he made that mistake? I'm friends with Oscar, so I can do this. Don't get me wrong. This is the voice of Satan. This is what he says about Oscar. And he tries to accuse Oscar about Oscar as well. And by the way, sometimes what he accuses us of is true. Because we fall short. But he also accuses us of things that aren't true. That's what Satan does. And he tries to accuse, in your mind, every relationship in your life. He tries to get you to be the accuser of the brethren like him. Jesus, on the other hand, in Scripture, is the intercessor who is seated at the right hand of the Father, doing the exact opposite, making intercession for you, going to bat for you. That's what intercession means, standing in the gap, praying for you. So he goes before the Father, and he says, do you see my beloved Oscar? He's clothed. I'm going to cry again. You can make fun of me later. I love Oscar. He says, you see Oscar? My beloved friend, he's clothed in my righteousness. He's walking in the fullness of the Spirit. He's going to bat for Oscar. He knows the God-given dreams of Oscar's heart. He's going to bat before the Father. That's Jesus. And so here's the question for us. Who do we want to be more like? Do we want to be like the accuser? Or do we want to be like Jesus? If we want to be like Jesus and have that dream, of healthy relationships, you're going to go to bat for those closest to you before God. You're going to go to bat for them. Your heart is going to change for them. Your mind is going to change. You might not even step back into full relationship with them. You might have come out of something that's abusive, and I in no way want to make light of that. But God's going to free your heart from that. And you're going to see glimpses that you never thought were possible. It's so amazing, God, as we stand in your presence among your people, declaring your praises, how our focus just comes into being.
we clearly see you, just a glimpse, and it changes everything about us, everything about our relationships, everything, Lord. We thank you for the power of just beholding you, the wonder, the glory, the beauty of Jesus. Thank you for this great salvation, this great forgiveness. Thank you for all these relationships represented that I believe you've called to be restored. You've called us to let go of the things bogging us down. Thank you, Lord, that we're leaving. Thank you that we're leaving some stuff at the foot of the cross today to never pick up again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just a few things before our benediction. Uh, if you would like any deeper ministry around any of this stuff, please let me know. Pastor Oscar, Pastor Heather, let one of us know. We'd love to journey with you. Some of, um, some of these journeys of healing and forgiveness, uh, they, they take a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of intentionality and a lot of God uh, massaging and making new our heart. And we have ministries like Celebrate Recovery and, and others and groups uh, like are out in the foyer. There's, I don't know, seven or eight groups represented out there that you can connect with right now and start sharing about some of these things. There's also a Newcomers Connect. Uh, anyone that's new or newish, if you haven't been yet, Sign up for Newcomers Connect. It's October 9th, so it's, I don't know, two or three Sundays away. It's 30 minutes right after this service. Chance to meet our team, hear our heart, learn some of our vision. Um, and then one quick thing, we're starting something called Brotherhood that's been in my heart, and I believe God's really speaking to us about. Are there any men that are here right now? Any men in the room? Where are we at? Young men, old men? Um, we just believe God wants to call our men to a deeper discipleship. And not just the men that are already in our church, but those in the area that God is calling us to, to bring into the family. A deeper discipleship, a deeper brotherhood. Um, there's already probably, there's at least 70 or 80 guys that are, that are coming around this already. And it's going to go more than that. And we're going to set up, um, just by God's leading, some incredible relationships and ministries and chances for growth. Um, it'll be messy, but it'll be beautiful. Go to our website, um, gracelandchurch.com slash brotherhood and throw your contact in there if you want the info about the Brotherhood ministry coming up. Let me pray this benediction over you and then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.